Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. This picture is of me on my six-year-old birthday. Got a baseball uniform. Now, it wasn't a team baseball uniform, so it had no logo on or anything, but it impressed me nonetheless. In fact, when I, I remember putting that uniform on, and the moment I put that uniform on, I felt like Hank Aaron, felt like a baseball player, because I had a baseball uniform on. Years later, as I would play team sports, back then there was no t-ball for four and five-year-old kids or anything like that. You had to wait till Little League, which is eight or nine. So when I signed up to play Little League, I got a team uniform, and same thing. When I suited up to play, I felt like a baseball player. When I started playing football, suited up to play football, put on shoulder pads, knee pads, helmet, I felt like a football player. I felt like I could defeat my opponent because I was ready and prepared and had, I was equipped to do what I needed to do. That's the idea I want to convey today in this, in this series this month called Suit Up. I want us to think about how suited we are to wage war against an enemy that is the scripture says, seeking to devour us. Because how well we suit up, we determine how we do in the war. Three of the more prolific generals in uh, U.S. Army history, I want to point out to you, the first of, is, uh, was General George Patton. Patton was a ruthless invader. He was, a, he was known as a fierce motivator of, of his men. After Patton came uh, General Douglas MacArthur. Douglas MacArthur was held, to be a, held up to be a great strategist, that he strategically outsmarted the enemy at about every turn. Combine those two characters together, and you have General Norman Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf was both a great motivator of men and a great strategist. He was, his strategy, as you remember, in liberating Kuwait was shock and awe. And it worked, and it worked well, and we suffered very few casualties because of it. But regardless of what your approach has got to be, what your approach is, there's got to be a strategy to your life. There's got to be a sense of intentional direction as to how you live if you're going to defeat the enemy and if you're going to make a difference in a culture that's growing more and more dark with each passing generation, almost with each passing week, sometimes it seems. So if we are to understand the the battle that we're in, we're going to have to first of all understand our enemy where I want us to spend our time today. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to be skipping over several passages today, but I think that I want to give you a a well-rounded picture of who our enemy really is and how he works. I want you to see him coming. Uh, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, so they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with it. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now I have come salvation to the poor, salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. 
for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. First thing I want us to see here is that our enemy is timeless. We have a timeless enemy who was before the earth began, before time. Uh, he was in heaven and hurled out of heaven, this story says. He, he was described as the serpent in the garden in Genesis 3, described as a serpent here as well. Um, his, his name described here is Satan, literally means accuser, one who comes to accuse is what Satan means. But I want us to see today that he is not to be feared, rather he is to be studied. If you study your enemy, if you study how he works and how he comes at you and the, and the, the methods and the means by which he tempts you or draw, tries to draw you astray or tries to, to, to make you feel anxious or uh, oppressed or angry or anything else for that matter, how he comes at you is, is, is key. So he is and should be by us, not feared, but studied. In fact, the more we know how he works, the less there is to be afraid of, the less fear, the less intimidation we have. Uh, listen to this passage in, in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 9 to 15. The grave below is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over the nations. They will all respond. They will say to you, you have also become weak as we are. You have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you, and worms cover you. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned in the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Now, this is describing that very fall from heaven in Isaiah 14. He's, he's referred to here, here as the morning star, which is the word Hebrew, in Hebrew, and the word Lucifer in Greek. Uh, morning star, son of the dawn, literally is what that means. Now, isn't that a nice, harmless name for a, for a dragon? Son of the dawn. He's referred to here in Revelation as the dragon, the serpent. It's, it's that way because he is a master deceiver. Revelation 12, 17, if you want to turn over one page to verse 17 in chapter 12, uh, says this, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against her and the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments and hold to Jesus' testimony. So he's described here as a dragon coming after to devour us, waging war on us, Waging war on your witness and mine. Waging war on your will and mine. But the more we understand him, the more we can, uh, can have victory against him. He's timeless, first of all. Secondly, I want us to see that he is tireless. We have a tireless enemy. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Prowls around, he says here, uh, seeking someone to devour. If you can get the picture of his, his doing one of these to you. And his eyes never turn off of you. Kind of like, like a cat in a cage looking at, uh, looking at prey. If you can get that image, that's exactly what verses 8 and 9 are talking about, that he's 
He has his eyes on you, looking for a slip, looking for an opening, looking for a place to step in to capitalize on our weakness, uh, someone to devour us at our weakest point, not the least of which is anger. Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 7 says this, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Meaning, anger and your temper and your emotions create an opportunity for a foothold. And if we're not careful, footholds can become strongholds over time. So if we give him a foothold, he'll seek to make it a stronghold and eat our lunch with it again and again and again, left unchecked. But here's the deal. As long as he's winning, he keeps coming. When we can beat him back with the scripture, and we're going to talk more about that next week. When we can beat him back with the scripture, he starts to lose because he, he cannot wage war against the word of God. That's how, that's how Jesus defeated him in the wilderness. Over and again, he said to him, it is written, it is written, it is written. Not I'm God and you're Satan, leave me alone, which he could have. Could have swapped him off the face of the earth, which he could have. But came at him with the scripture to teach us to do the same thing. It is written, it is written, it is written. So as we see him, he, he, he continues to come at us and will until he's defeated. And he's defeated by the scripture, by the word of God. He is tireless, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour our enemy is tireless, he is timeless, but thirdly, I want us to see that our enemy is in the culture. Our enemy is in the culture. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he says here. In essence, he's saying the earth is his domain. It was given to him uh, to, to come, to, tent, to, 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 to make trial, uh, to make hardship for us. The earth is his domain. He knows it. He also knows his power and his window of opportunity are limited. Now, I said he is timeless earlier, that he was before time. But he knows there's a season. He knows there's a window he has. And he knows from that window. He, he, he can read the scriptures as well as you and I can. He knows when that window closes in Revelation, he's cast into the abyss that, that he's toast and he's done forever. Uh, he knows that. He realizes that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a time frame to, to, the, to, to this open window. Consequently, he can't and often doesn't reveal himself to us. That he uses deception, and he's good at deception. He's, in fact, he's a master at deception. Listen to John chapter 8, verses 42 to 47. He says this, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his, na his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, then why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. He is saying here that this is, this is the, the earth is, the, is Satan's domain, and he is, he is he's a master of deception. He's a master liar. He's good at it. He's been doing it for, for centuries. Our, our culture, though, would, would rather willingly follow along after a lie knowingly follow along after a lie, then uh, step into it and respond to the truth. He would rather comply with a lie than have to adjust to truth, the absolute truth, have to repent of the fact that 
we are in the wrong. He is definitely in our culture. He's timeless. He's tireless. He's in our culture. The fourth thing I want us to see, though, is he is in the church. In the church? Yes, in the church. Second, turn, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 to 26. It says there, flee the, devil, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord and call out of a pure heart, don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He's talking to believers about believers, about the church. He says here that the enemy, our, our enemy, the devil, has taken them captive. How? By foolish and stupid arguments, he says here in this, in, in this passage. Uh, he, he entraps us in those things. That begs the question, how much significance do we give the insignificant? And beyond that question, do the things that matter to God matter to us? I wonder today and this morning in church after church all across America, if we're exalting the insignificant above the significant things, and if the things that matter to God really matter to us, if so, we would look more like him, think more like him, be less bothered by insignificant things that come our way and make less of them. He's saying here that he entraps us into those things, into those insignificant things, elevating them to a, to a level of importance that they should never have. That's how he works in the church, entrapment. However, the mature can see through that. The mature recognize how he works. The mature recognizes his, his mannerisms, how he will, will, will find a seed of doubt or a seed of anger or a seed of bitterness and try and pour water on that so that that seed will grow in the church and anger and bitterness will, will, will find, creep its way in. The mature will recognize how he works because they've seen him. They've, they've dealt with him before. Uh, the immature, though, it's hard for them to see. So the mature do that because they recognize the language of the liar. They've heard his lies before. And his lies have, have affected them before in large part. So it's about our, our growing in the faith where we can see and recognize who, who he is, how he speaks, and how he works, and banish him from this place week after week after week. When you and I walk in here, there should be a spirit of Satan. You're, you're, you're not welcome here. In fact, there's no room for evil here. Uh, let, let, let's, let, let's not let me bring him in here on my own. So uh, that ought to be our prayer as we come in here that Satan's banished from this place each week and that we can uh, come and worship in the presence of the Lord and seek his, his will and his way and his word. He's timeless. Our enemy is. He's tireless. He's in the culture. He's in the church. But the last thing I want us to see is he is a person. Our enemy is a person. He has a name. Lucifer, Satan, the devil, regardless of, of what, what name you use and what you call him, he is a real person. He is alive and well. What he's not, though, is a political party or a politician. He's not a liberal media He's not the Muslim faith. He's not the murderer. He's not the drug dealer. Now, he can and will use any of those and does in our day and time. Uh, possesses any of those in our day and time. I believe that. He can't possess the heart of a believer, but can oppress a believer, but can possess the heart of an unbeliever, and I believe he does and has, and can use those things. But our enemy is not those folks. Our enemy is not the lost world around us. Our enemy is our enemy. 
We need to be, be true to that and understand that. He's, uh, as I say, he can and use any of those and does oftentimes, but it's not, a, it's not the lost folks around us, and it's certainly not the disobedient or struggling believer around us. And sadly, those folks get the brunt of, of, of our, the enemy's effects of our life to where we, we think we're better, we think we're stronger, we think we're wiser, we think we're smarter. And those around us who are hurting, who are believers, oftentimes get seemingly our, 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 wor- our worst sometimes instead of our, of our best. We see them as the enemy and they're not. In fact, Ephesians 6.12 speaks of that. It says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy is the devil. He has a name. Call him by name. Uh, treat him as an enemy. Recognize how he works. Recognize if he's speaking, he's lying. Because that's his native tongue. The scriptures told us earlier that he is a real person. He's not some mythical figure that is just out there somewhere in the, in the stratosphere. No, he's, the earth is his domain, and he's prowling about, seeking to devour you, seeking to, to devour me. I got some bad news and some good news. The bad news first. You are in a real war against a real enemy. You need to know that. It's not mythical. It's not hypothetical. You are in a real war, spiritual war, against a real enemy. The good news is this. We have an advocate. We have someone on our side. Have someone to wage war for us, with us. So how do we combat the enemy around us? Well, we combat the enemy around us by the spirit in us. And that spirit through us, working to, to wage his will and his plan for our life. We'll talk more next week about this, this, our, this advocate. But um, we, we, we have an advocate, and that, that advocate, advocate will help us wage war. And when we have an advocate, we'll talk more about our arsenal and about our will as well. But we have to suit up to be prepared for that. We have to suit up to be prepared for him and his ways and how he works, meaning we've got to be awake, we've got to be aware, we've got to be armed. If we, if we let those things slide, he'll eat your lunch keep you in a defeated place, keep you in a place that is beaten down to where he has you exactly where he wants you and will, will never let his fist off of you. He will keep you depressed and oppressed for as long as he can and steal your witness and steal your joy. But there's better to come. Let's pray. Father, today we couldn't win the war unless we understand our enemy. Understanding how he works, how he comes at us, the angles that he uses on us, some, some that are unique to us and some that are general to the body of believers, but he's coming after us. He's prowling around. He's stalking us to see a weakness in us that he can elevate and escalate to where we can live a defeated instead of a life of victory. Will you help us to understand that today? Help us to understand our enemy is coming after us, that it's not just, he's not just passive waiting on us to, to fail. He's pursuing failure on our part. He's coming after us with, with stories that are lies about us, lies about people around us, lies about our history, lies about our future. If he's speaking, he's lying. Help us to understand the way he works and the nature that he works and to come back against him again and again and again with the word of God, with the scripture. We're grateful for this awareness and these reminders. Uh, if we are immature in our faith, we have reason to be intimidated. But as we grow in the word, as we grow in our walk, 
we can win these wars against him, these battles against him day after day, and, and not lose our witness and not lose our will in the process. We love you and want our lo love for you to be reflected to others, and it can't be if we live defeated lives. Help us to, to, to see and understand that we can, we can live in victory, but it takes understanding our enemy first. Teach us those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.